Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here alongside my good friend, Justin Garcia, as we are still basking in the glory of a Game 6 win for the Milwaukee Bucks. We are live on the Spotify Green Room app, and this episode is brought to you by Spotify Green, Green Room. Download the app, and you'll be able to join me anytime we go live on the Green Room app. That's uh, Green Room changing the way we talk about sports now. You might be a little confused and wondering, what what is the Green Room app? Are you opening a built bar, Justin? What's going on right now? <laughs> I actually am. <laughs> I, I, I can tell. I'm trying to do an intro here. I'm trying to bring us into the podcast. And you're there opening up a delicious, a delicious built bar, the best tasting protein bar that has ever been made. We'll get to that a little bit later on. But anyway, as Justin very rudely interrupted, interrupted my intro, I'm glad that we're here. And if there was a day that you could interrupt my intro, it's going to be today, Justin, because I'm still feeling pretty damn good about things as I wake up here on a Monday morning in Australia. The Bucks are advancing through to the Eastern Conference Finals. That's not a surprise to anyone, but we're going to continue to roll through this. We are live on the Green Room app. So we've got, uh, we've got uh, Bucks fans and uh, listeners of the show that are in the chat room right now, and we're going to roll through and, and have... A lot of fun. And I want the listeners to jump on. So remember, you can request to speak. We'll get you on. You can ask questions. You can just tell us how pumped up you are 24 hours after Game 7. But Justin, you were there. You were, well, you were there in the, in the Deer District, I should say. And I've said this before. I mean, people know, you know, what I think about this Milwaukee and obviously you know, living there for a couple of years. I love it. I've definitely never been any more jealous than I was yesterday. But that looked like absolute chaos. It, uh, it was incredible. Um, you know, we so we've been doing this, and I think I talked about it on here as well, that we've been doing basically pep rallies for every game in the playoffs, including road games, where it's it's either me and, and Zora a couple of times or me and Jim Paschke and Mel and Joe um, just going on stage before the game and talking about the game and doing everything else to get everybody excited for um for whatever game that is and last night it it was just insane where there wasn't a whole lot of energy before the uh one that we did for game three and i think we we can all understand why but it it started to gradually increase as the series went on and when the bucks even the series and for game six it, it felt like there was a lot of desperation energy but when we did it last night, so we had typically been going on stage about an hour before tip-off. And it was like 6.45 last night that uh, Jim Paskey and I got on stage. And as soon as we got there, uh, there was people all the way back to where the Bradley Center used to be. And they were already starting to turn people away. And and even Jim was was speechless at first and taken aback by just – the sea of people that we had seen and, and just all the videos that people have released of what went on in the deer district. I mean, it, it's, 
you feel good seeing that because of how much Bucks fans have dealt with for the last two decades. But also keep this in mind. That crowd was for a conference semifinals game. So imagine what the next possibly two rounds are going to be like. Yeah, no question. I, I, I'm not surprised. And I'm glad that you mentioned the fact that what Bucks fans have been through. Because this, to me, is the most incredible thing about the Bucks fan base in general. And no doubt the city has, has clearly gotten behind the team as they've started to win more. That makes absolute sense. But the diehard Bucks fans that have been through just endless heartbreak to show up to a game seven and not just hide away in your living room at home because you get the sense you know what's going to happen because you've seen this story before is incredible. So for everyone to, to be together for that moment, to see that game and to see that win, it's incredible. It was, it was great to see. I had so much fun watching the videos and, and all the footage of the Deer District there. And I had a number of people comment, about Frank on the post-game pod. And by the way, we, we also did a, a post-game pod, so by any chance you've missed that, go back and listen to that. It was awesome. But Frank is pretty hes pretty straight with his delivery, I would say. He's, the, the, the most emotion he really shows is if he's angry that Giannis misses a free throw. But, you know, he was getting a little bit shaky yesterday when he was talking. And, and I think that that just sums up the mood with Bucks fans and, and what this really meant. And I commented this yesterday. It's almost hard to believe that that's only the second round. It felt like they won an NBA championship last night. Not that I know what that feels like, but I have to imagine it was close to that, um, beating this Brooklyn team with Kevin Durant doing everything that he did. And I'm look, like I said, we're going to look ahead to the conference finals, no doubt. Once we have an opponent, we've got a couple of days to do this. I can reveal Marcus Johnson. It's coming on the podcast, it's coming on the podcast before game one, so I can give you that little tease there. But for now, I really just want to go back and, and talk about this game. Now, uh, I watched the fourth quarter and overtime again last night. I went out for my dad's 60th birthday dinner, had a few beers, came home, had a few more beers, watched the fourth quarter and overtime just to try and remember everything because it was it was so difficult. There was different moments that that happened in this game. And I just want to say, Justin Sayan in the chat says he's heard rumors of Justin Garcia out on Brady Street till 6 a.m. Uh, so that that sounds about right to me. I know you, Justin. Uh, and Jack Vance mentions who would we rather have the Bucks play in the Eastern Conference Finals. I reckon we'll get to that at the end. But Nick Levin, what do you think was the most clutch shot from Game 7? So here we go. Let me Let me roll through some of the observations I took from watching the fourth quarter and overtime again. I tweeted about the moment where... The Bucks had the ball. They stole the ball from Kevin Durant. We're bringing the ball up the floor. They were trailing 93-91. And then there was a, a sort of a stumble, a fumble. A, the ball came loose. James Harden picked it up, fired a ball into Kevin Durant. He dunked through contact on Pat Connor. And the Bucks were down 96-91. That felt like a moment that I thought that the Bucks were teetering on the edge of breakdown. Later on, and I didn't realize this was so late, and I didn't realize that this was the score, but the James Harden bank shot three that gave Brooklyn, I, I didn't realize that gave them a 101-96 lead. So that was a five-point yeah. lead at that point with only just over three minutes left. But the guy that just kept on delivering Justin for me was Chris Middleton. So he answered that James Harden bank three with a corner three that was clutch. Kevin Durant was right there in his face. But I think maybe the most ludicrous shot of the entire fourth quarter was actually earlier in the fourth. The Bucks were trailing 91-88. And Chris Milton, again, as the Bucks were just trying to keep their, keep their stability, keep their, their heads cool at the start of the fourth quarter, 
He was dribbling around, I believe it was Landry Shamit and Bruce Brown were right in his face. The shot clock was about to expire and he stepped back from the corner and hit nothing but net as well. Chris Milton, I read, had 13 points in the fourth quarter in overtime. He contributed or he scored or assisted on 18 of the final 31 points, I believe it was. Middleton for mine was just so clutch. And he has been all postseason long. Yes, he started this series slow. But this guy is uh, he's a Milwaukee legend, the stuff he's been doing this postseason. Yeah, um, and in terms of the most uh, <laughs> ludicrous shots, I mean, you could put Drew Holiday's three that made it, what, I think 106 to 103 up there too. Yeah. That I think a lot of people at the time that Drew Holiday went to the step back and took it, everybody was probably thinking, what, what, what are you doing here, Drew? And then it goes in, and I mean <sighs> – for for as much as Drew Holiday struggled and looked like he did not have confidence offensively in the first half, for him to come up with three huge shots in the fourth quarter like he did, it it just speaks volumes to everything we've talked about with the upgrade that they, they experienced with point guard because those aren't plays that happened in the playoffs the last two years. Chris continues to deliver big plays in the playoffs with both ends of the floor too with his defense on Kevin Durant and I mean that shot in overtime that pushes him ahead I mean Giannis's basket on Durant to go to the hook shot to tie the game when if that doesn't fall you probably get the the feeling that the game is over that there was just big play after big play and it it felt and I listened on the way home to you and Frank doing the pod last night it just I think Bucks fans all have the same feeling you can't even put into words how good it felt to see those plays finally go your way rather than, you know, you think back to the banked in three by Harden and I didn't think it was over, but just like the five point swing you talked about with Kevin Durant, when those plays start to happen, you start to think, yeah, this is, it's feeling pretty familiar right now. And when Harden banked in that three, my mind went to, wow, so the Bucks season's going to start with a banked-in three by Jason Tatum, and it could possibly end <laughs> right. with a banked-in three by Harden. I mean, the play in the corner, that there were all these plays that just, it seemed like, uh, yep, we've seen this before, and here it comes again, and yet they just persevered and pushed ahead. And, and we talked about it during the Heat series, that this team just seemed like the mentally tougher team, and... There were moments where it would get wobbly, and they just pushed forward. And you definitely noticed, yeah, this team seems a lot more focused and different than they were the previous two years. And we definitely saw that in this series against Brooklyn, too, especially in the last two games. Because I don't care that people can point out the injuries that Brooklyn had and, and everything else there. Sure, that's very true, that this series looks different if they're healthy. But the fact is, the Bucks were down two games to none. They lost game two. They were just run off the court. There was no reason for optimism going forward. And for the team to be facing that and win four out of five games against the Brooklyn Nets in a series where Kevin Durant is playing like a seven-foot Steph Curry, to me, speaks to the mental toughness of that team. In my couple of decades of watching the Milwaukee Bucks, I don't think there's ever been a time in that stretch where I've felt that they were mentally tougher than another really, really good team. Never. I agree with you. They had endless opportunities to fold in this game. Endless. I mean, you talk about the 20 lead changes, the 10 ties. Again, you're pointing to the fact the first four and a half minutes of overtime, they didn't score, and they didn't do it. They stuck with it. It's it's incredible. 
uh, a testament to this team. And I, I'm going to get to PJ Tucker. I don't think I can ever do another Locked On Bucks without talking about uh, PJ Tucker after this series. I fucking love that man. But I'm going to talk about Indeed quickly here, which is the job site uh, that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post screen and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting and hiring the, with the right talent fast and easy. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests and then add must-have requirements so you only pay for the applications that meet them. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to update your job post at Indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com slash locked. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. On the road to the NBA Finals, our playoffs coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. MJ Gross in the chat says, PJ Tucker should never pay for a beer again in Milwaukee. I 100% agree with that. I've got the stats for this series up here. Uh, PJ Tucker, 5.1 points per game and 4.1 rebounds per game and got 35 points per game scored on him. And yet, it's one of the best individual performances I have ever seen from a Milwaukee Bucks player in the postseason. He's an incredible player. And I wrote about this after the game. The, the, what the Bucks were hoping to get from P.J. Tucker when he came to Milwaukee. And it's it's not that Kevin Durant didn't have a huge series. It's not that Kevin Durant was absolutely unbelievable because he was. He is just a ridiculous player. Incredible. And if it wasn't against the Milwaukee Bucks, I would have enjoyed watching that display. And it was funny to me that P.J. Tucker actually said that he enjoyed it. <laughs> he enjoyed as a basketball fan watching this man go to work. But the thing that separates P.J. Tucker from everyone else in this series and what he was able to do is that he never gave up. You saw the shots that Kevin Durant was making right throughout this series and including the first two games when people like myself were wondering if yeah, he was going to too. be able to... Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and I've, I've admitted that. I mean, I was wrong on that. I was wrong. He was the only guy that was set for that matchup across seven games because he wasn't willing to give up. And I think any other player would have seen Kevin Durant making those shots and think... Shit, man, uh, I, there's yeah. nothing I can do. And they would have dropped yeah. their head. PJ Tucker does not. He, he says he's a dog, and he's right. He, he, did, he did not stop for the whole entire seven games. And if he didn't play in this series, I don't think that this, this series goes longer than five games. Yeah, and, and this um, – I, I was completely wrong. It's laughable how wrong we were because I remember talking about it with you after games one and two and thinking the same thing of – you know, PJ can stay with him, but he just doesn't have the length that Kevin's going to get over him and get any shot he wants. And, and now you look back and you, you think about, yeah, he can do that, but he, he's going to have to work for those shots. And there's going to be a level of frustration when there's the guy is mm-hmm. always there on you and with you. And yeah, you're scoring, but he's making it tough. So this is in no way a knock on Drew Holiday because this is we all kind of labeled Drew as he's going to be the difference maker. This series, I think it's clear that if the Bucks ultimately reach their goal of winning a championship, it's going to be because of P.J. Tucker, that he's the one that, that allows them to switch everything defensively, 
and just that toughness that you talked about and PJ uttering the words that were dogs uh, during that heat series and seeing that mentality that he brought uh, against the Nets all throughout this series that it to me seems like he's the guy that that mental toughness we talked about being on display and this team just pushing through a lot of that is coming from PJ Tucker and what he brings to the team and I thought what he said after game uh, six too when he was talking about you know, what we all have said before, that you know Kevin Durant is going to score. So you have to accept that and you can't get frustrated, but then breaking it down even more to say, I can't get frustrated and drop my head and, you know, I have to let my teammates know he's going to score. That's fine. I'm doing my job. Just just trust me because if my teammates start to sag off and help me, then other guys are open and then Kevin Durant's getting going and those guys are getting going. So just the entire outlook and the attitude that PJ Tucker has brought, I think Drew and Bobby and, and all the other changes that we've seen, those have started to lay the foundation. But I think PJ Tucker's the guy that has really put it over the top since the Bucks have gotten him. So much talk about Mike Budenholzer through this series for obvious reasons. And again, look, we don't know what's going to happen in the conference final. So we don't know ultimately what it means. Although I think, again, he has to deserve some credit. Look, the one thing that you're still going to say with Bud, sometimes those adjustments feel like they come a little bit, well, not too late, but they take too long to get to that point. But nonetheless, you know, Bud uh, did a did a pretty good job. And I think the big adjustment in this game, in game uh, seven here, was the move to get Giannis involved in the action with Bruce Brown. So this was the, the move that, and CJ asked us in the chat to talk through some of the adjustments here from game seven. So... When Steve Nash brings in Bruce Brown to the starting lineup, it was kind of an interesting move to make. Now, we knew that Jeff Green was causing some problems in pick-and-pop scenarios, certainly go back to game five, seven for eight from three. But what Bruce Brown has been able to do is create multiple second-chance opportunities. The guy is an absolute beast on the offensive rebounds. But the other thing he's been able to do is knock down that floater. I mean, he is remarkably consistent with that floater. So what you're going to be able to do is use him as a screener. Now... With Brooke Lopez in that pick-and-roll action with Bruce Brown and Kevin Durant in the first half, what you saw was the Bucks stuck in, in a really difficult position. It was Brooke Lopez was either going to come up to the perimeter and Durant was going to find Bruce Brown with that pocket pass and he was going to shoot a floater, or if, if Brooke Lopez dropped too far back, then you're in a scenario where Kevin Durant is going to walk into a jump shot. So the Bucks had to make a move there, and that halftime, Bud did that. He put Giannis onto Bruce Brown, which meant... That no, no, Giannis wasn't the primary defender on Kevin Durant, which we've discussed, you know, at end. It's an easy media topic to talk about. You see players like CJ McCollum running his mouth, hasn't won jack shit in his whole entire life, yet he wants to talk shit about Giannis. Like, by the way, that's another topic I'm going to get to one day. The the American players in the league that that seem to have a vendetta against Giannis is just absolute is, is a joke. It's ridiculous. But anyway, so Giannis wasn't the primary defender on Durant, but by putting him on uh, on Bruce Brown, what you were doing was involving him in all the actions. So yeah. so that engaged Giannis defensively. Bruce Brown didn't feel as confident that he had as much space coming off those screens. And then Kevin Durant also knew that, no, you don't have Brooke Lopez standing at the free throw line. You've got Giannis if you get around that initial screen as well. So that was a big adjustment and I thought a really critical adjustment in this game. Yeah, and I thought overall Brooke... Um, did a much better job in that game in the first half of 
Yeah, it's um, not even a knock. I, I, it's not even a yeah, knock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I'm not suggesting it was. I mean, and, and yeah. it's not not even so much Brooke did a better job as much as it was he did a good job. And I think Bud did a better job of recognizing we can't go as deep into the drop defense that you got to be closer to the three-point line because we know you're getting matched up on Durant a lot in those screens. So I thought Brooke was there um, in a much better spot than he was through the first few games of the series, certainly. But yeah, that was that was what basically put it over the top in the second half. And you couldn't help but notice about midway through the third quarter when the Bucks started on that run that I think at, at one point when we combined the end of the second quarter, it was what, I think thirteen to nothing that they went on um to push ahead. And and you started to notice some things and think, Well, what's what's going differently here? And then you started to see, uh it it, it looks like Giannis and Brooker flipped and that's changing everything. I was surprised initially that Steve Nash went back to Bruce Brown instead of keeping Jeff Green in the starting lineup, just because we had all kind of questioned what is James Harden going to look like? And, and Katie's been great, but somebody else has to do something for Brooklyn or they're in trouble. And to me, I just thought, well, I don't know that the chances of, of Jeff Green having a 27 point night are great, but he's at least shown he can hit shots. So I thought you would have left him in there. And as the game went on too, I think part of it was, they liked the actions that Bruce Brown was giving them. I questioned, too, if Jeff Green was starting to feel some of the effects of the plantar fasciitis because he didn't look yeah. like he was moving all that great in the minutes that we did see him in that game. But the other thing about Bruce Brown and his impact was not only you know, those those uh, plays that they were running with him setting those screens and how much it, it really freed up the Nets offense. We have to give a ton of credit to Bruce Brown for what he did to Chris Middleton. Because we can point to, hey, Chris was only 2 of 11 in the first half. A lot of that was because of Bruce Brown, that he did a tremendous job on Chris. And all throughout the game, you could see it. And that loose ball that we referenced before, too, that turned into Harden feeding Durant for the dunk, it was Bruce Brown that knocked it away from Chris. So he was active all night, and I think that's a big reason why we saw Chris struggle. But, um, yeah, the Bucs made the adjustments. So we can say... It it came a little late, but better late than never. And that, to me, so far has been the theme of this series. That as it went on, it seemed like they were starting to pick up more and more, and gradually figuring out we can attack this, or the Nets are going to do this, and we should do that. That you can say it took them too long to make those changes, but they made them, and they ultimately won the series. Well, I think the most impressive part about that, Justin, is the fact that we talk about adjustments all the time from game to game. But to make that adjustment at halftime of a game seven, I think, is the impressive part about it. And and look, a lot of people will say, well, he's an NBA coach. You've got to make those moves. But you still have to pull the right levers. And when the Bucks needed him to, I thought he pulled a pretty damn important one. I wanted to... I, We've been doing this podcast. You've been you've been crunching away with your with your Built Bar wrapper the whole time, which made me just think that I want to talk about Built Bar now, which is the best tasting protein bar that's ever been made. There's nine delicious flavors. Uh, what do you got at the moment? Uh, I still have uh, some of those uh, churro marshmallow puff ones, so that's what I was having. All right, that makes sense. Yeah, that was a pretty popular one back in the Built Bar madness bracket. But there is nine different flavors that you can choose from and uh, like i always tell you guys if you don't know which one to go with you can get a mix box you'll get two of each those 18 built bars should keep you going for at least two days there which will be nice they're pretty healthy for you 17 grams of protein only 130 calories only four grams of sugar and four grams of net carbs so with built bar we've got a deal for you just go to builtbar.com use promo code lock 15 
and you'll get 15% off your first order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. And this is why these green group podcasts are the best. Nick Levin wants to know, are Built Bars good for hangovers? Uh, MJ says they are. What do you think? Uh, yeah, they're great. <laughs> they're, they're, well, they're great for anything, but uh, especially that, yeah. All right, perfect. That's, that's another endorsement of Built Bar there. Not that we need it anymore, but BuiltBar.com. Lock 15 for 15% off your next order. So one other thing I wanted to mention uh, with with PJ Tucker in this series, it was interesting. I was talking to, uh, in the group DM I've got with Dean uh, Maniard and Frank, and I, I said something along the lines of, uh, I my respect levels for PJ Tucker have gone through the roof this series. Um, he's, he's such an incredible player and an incredible competitor. And Dean, I think, said, well, they should have already been high. He's always been like that. And I said, yeah, 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 he has. But to be fair, I always avoided watching Houston because <laughs> I I didn't want to watch James Harden. Like, that's just a fact. Like, I, I would yeah. openly avoid watching Houston because I just couldn't stand watching James Harden play, which brings me to the point here. There's been a bit on Twitter about James Harden leaving the floor before shaking hands with anyone. And, I, and the reason I want to bring that up is because I've been saying it all series long. I don't think that there's a more unlikable star in the league than James Harden, not only for the way that he plays, but his attitude is, is just, it's, it's unsportsmanlike. It's just pathetic. Like he's not a likable player. So for him to walk off the floor like that just sums him up perfectly. Like that's the most perfect James Harden moment to see him walk off the floor and, and, you compare that to Blake Griffin, who, let's be honest, Blake Griffin has not been a likable player for some of his antics on the floor as well. But what did you see with Giannis and Blake Griffin straight after the, the final buzzer in Game 7? Big hug, congratulate each other, because that's what you do. You can compete, and look, we, we talk about the dirty stuff that goes on within a series, but you know, ultimately it's a battle. It's a seven-game battle. There's going to be heated moments. But when the series is over, shake the man's hand, congratulate him, and, and everyone did that. And Giannis, gracious as always, went straight over to the Brooklyn bench. James Harden, nowhere to be seen. The guy's a sore loser. And I just thought it was absolutely pathetic. Yeah, I, uh, I saw a lot of it. And I didn't see it happening in real time, mostly because um, so it, it, was, uh, it, it was interesting. Um, so it was me, our engineer, and Ted in Pfizer Forum doing the broadcast in an empty arena. And uh, there was a lot of tension with the three of us in the final minute of the game. So once it finally happened, I think we all were in shock when Kevin Durant airballed the three. And I know Ted kept waiting for a foul call to be called and for Durant to go to the line. And once we realized it was over, it was kind of like, holy cow, they, they actually did this. And we could hear people in the Deer District from inside the arena. We could hear them cheering and making noise. So... We were all kind of in shock. I didn't actually see it happen until well after the fact. The one thing I'll say is this. It is uh, it is disappointing to see, but I'm also going to say this about James Harden. It's probably not going to be popular. But if we take him at his word, and he was playing with a grade two hamstring strain, we have to give him some credit for that. I mean, he was clearly not anywhere near 100%, but for him to play through an injury like that, and realizing the stakes, it's. I think this series did a lot, not so much for Harden, but for Kevin Durant as well. I think he's 100% now favorable reviews from the basketball community. If you thought Kevin Durant was the ring chaser, and 
I don't respect what he was doing, and he was taking the easy way out. After this series, I think Kevin Durant won everyone over. I don't think that's ever going to be the case for James Harden, but I just I get the frustration. I wouldn't have handled it that way, but I'm not really going to say anything negative about him after what he did and still able to be somewhat effective playing through an injury like that. That's soft, first of all, Justin. And, and also... <laughs> Like, listen, if if he played the way that Kevin Durant played in terms of actually, you know, Kevin Durant agreed for uh, some some calls, fine. But overall, he's not a flopper either. And, and, you know, it's the total package with James Harden. And watching him trying to grift his way to a Game 7 win, regardless of whether he was injured or not, you know he would have done that even if he was healthy. So that's where I, well, he doesn't get and, a part. Yeah, no, I, I – yeah. And I think the biggest difference too in, in what uh, – the Kevin Durant component too is, you know, just the stuff that PJ Tucker said too of Kevin telling him, stop yelling at Blake. They're going to give you a T and kick you out of the game. Well, I, and I've always said this with flopping. I think the, the officials have to have some responsibility. And clearly, yesterday it was very early in game seven, evident that they were going to give him uh, those foul calls. But yeah, I mean, sure. He, he played with a hamstring injury. Fine. That was that was pretty impressive. But watching him throughout the series, I, I can't give that man um, too much credit at all for, for anything else that he did there. By the way, Kevin Durant has announced that uh, he is going yeah. to play at the Olympics, which means that we're just going to get PJ Tucker and Aussie girl. We're going to get in, We're going to get PJ Tucker married in the next few weeks and get him to the Olympics in Australian colors so he can play on Kevin Durant. <laughs> I I saw that just before we jumped on, and I was stunned. That <laughs> I mean, you think of all the energy Kevin Durant just put forward into this series, and now signing up for no offseason, that absolutely floored me. So one thing to, to wrap this show up, I mean, we're going to watch this game. We're going to see who the Bucks are going to be playing in the Eastern Conference Finals. But uh, CJ also mentioned the uh, the offensive side of the ball for the Bucks, And look, we spoke about the the stagnation of the Bucks offense at times throughout this series. Certainly, there was a lot of ISO ball stuff. Uh, just reflecting on it all just quickly after watching this game and the way that Drew Holiday was able to step up and hit those series of jump shots, it made me think about the fact that playoff basketball a lot of the time does turn into that half-court isolation basketball. And the reason why the Bucks have failed in years gone by has certainly been that they haven't had guys that can create and can get their own shot. And that's why coming into Game 7, when you look at the numbers, and Drew Holiday was 25% on open jump shots from further than 10 feet out, you were scratching your head and saying, well, their plan made a lot of sense. But Drew Holiday hasn't been able to come through and hit a shot. And clearly, I mean, he was he was dreadful for three and a half quarters offensively. Um, that corner three off the side of the backboard nearly sunk me from the couch to the floor because I, I, just, I just thought at that point... The situation yeah. was there, there was no way of coming back. Before. Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, I just I mean, did. I mean, as soon as that happened, too, I, I started to think like, so is point guard just cursed for the Bucks yeah, when it comes yeah. to the playoffs, and it, it doesn't matter who it is. Yeah, no question. But to, to CJ's point, I, I think that we saw that the Bucks offense looked best when the ball was moving from side to side, and you are asking questions of the Brooklyn defense when you're getting Giannis uh, off, getting uh, catching on the roll and getting downhill. Attacking from the side, not necessarily from the top. You see that they had some, they had some success. But the point I'm making when I talk about this ISO stuff is that Drew Holiday was able to generate good look after good look after good look after good look. And I know that people say, well, the step back shot wasn't working. No, it wasn't. But that's been a reliable shot for him all season, and that's why they acquired a guy like Drew Holiday because in the half court, 
he can get his own shot really anytime he wants. And it's a good yeah. look uh, despite the fact that, yeah, a step-back shot is difficult. There's no doubt. And when you're one for 12, maybe put it away for a little bit and move the ball. But he, he, for him to stand up and do that, I just thought that, look, it took until the fourth quarter of game seven and you probably didn't want to leave it that late. But for him to find that shot and create the shot, uh, I think is what the Bucks envisaged when they were able to get Drew Holiday. But overall, we've spoke about Brook Lopez a lot, the way they used him out on the perimeter rather than being uh, in the paints, under the basket, and using this size advantage. I think we saw a little bit more of that in Game 7. He was obviously absolutely fantastic. So overall, I do think the Bucks need to be a little bit more creative, but we saw that the, the talent accumulation on this roster came through in the fourth quarter of a playoff game, which is what the design was at the start of the season. Well, and, you know, you, we obviously saw the embrace of Giannis and Chris after the game, and you couldn't help but feel good for those guys. that They, they were the two that were here for the 15-win season, and for them to be uh, through this entire journey and falling short two years in the playoffs, and then to get that big victory against the Brooklyn Nets, you felt good. And But you and Frank talked about it on uh, last night's show. I mean, my mind immediately drifted to Brooke Lopez that you could not help but feel great for Brooke. Number one, that he didn't have to live with, well, it was the Brooke Lopez play in the corner that potentially cost the Bucks the game in the series. But also, we've talked about this before. Brooke Lopez, if not their most consistent, has been one of their two most consistent players in each playoff run the last three years. So he's been one of the guys that has shown up for every series and uh, been through all of this with the team. So for him to experience that and to do it against his former team, you couldn't help but feel good for basically the entire team. But I think especially guys like Giannis and Chris and Brooke. I mentioned this in a story I wrote a couple of days ago, but when you go back to the 2013 draft and then you know a few weeks later and you acquire Chris, but what's changed since then? Uh, multiple coaches, new owners, the team's wearing different colors, new arena. So many things have changed. The roster has been completely overhauled about four times. But the two things that hasn't changed is Giannis and Chris. So I 100% agree for them to come through in game six, the way they did face an elimination. And then in game seven, facing elimination, there was something There was something really... Uh, it just it just felt good. It just felt good. And there's no reason for me, this the random bloke over in Australia to feel proud of these millionaire athletes but I, I just felt proud of them honestly it seems so yeah. weird to say that but to, to see them out there and how happy they were well, uh, it's, well, it's and, the best way to describe it yeah and, and you know not to just oh by the way you felt good for Giannis too but I, I mean this was potentially a career defining moment for Giannis that mm-hmm. he was dealing with all the questions and the murmurs and, and people saying well you, you can't really win with Giannis as your one and maybe he's not as good as we think And he went toe-to-toe with Kevin Durant in the biggest game of his career and had one of the biggest shots, if not the biggest shot of the game, and his team won. So uh, same thing goes for Giannis. So as we wrap this up, I will remind you guys, our our great friend Peter Bukowski, you can catch him daily on the Locked On Today podcast. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. You can follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. Let's go watch this game, Hawks Sixers. I said I didn't want to do this podcast when we knew the opponent because I wanted to just bask in the glory of Game 7 for a little bit longer. We've had a couple of comments in the chat here as we wrap this up. Luke uh, says, who who would have thought entering these playoffs that the Bucks could possibly end up with home court in the conference finals? 
for that and that only, I would love to see the Hawks win, but they can they look to be a team hitting their stride. I don't know. I really don't care at this point. I'll take any team. Maybe, you know, Atlanta seems like a better matchup on paper. They're also can be a dangerous team in their time. And the Bogdan Bogdanovich story, that listening to that over and over and over, if he has a big game, might be a little bit too much for me to handle. So I don't care. I'm just going to go watch this game. Whoever the Bucks get doesn't bother me. I remember back in 2019, uh, Raptors and Sixers. I was in Milwaukee yeah. at the time. I was at Balzac Wine Bar, which I think is uh, in, on North Arlington, just off, off Brady there. I've got some great friends that work there. They're not sponsors of the show, but the, the, they may as well be because I was basically there uh, three times a week when I was in Milwaukee watching the game, trying to figure out who are the Bucks going to have, Sixers or Raptors. It came down to these shots, as we know. So who knows what's going to happen in this one. But I'm just going to enjoy the game and kick back and realize the Bucks have got a couple of days to get ready for game seven, uh, for game one of the conference finals, I should say. Well, you were at Balzac. I was uh, at uh, my favorite deadhead bar at Thurman's. And uh, <laughs> who knew? We were just, what, 15 feet apart. Um, yeah, I, I think the Bucks are going to be favored, whoever it is, in uh, either of the series. And I guess the only intrigue is, is this going to be, what would we even call it if it's Bucks-Hawks, the Bud Donovich Bowl that you're yeah. going against his former team and Bogdan Bogdanovich? Well... Two very annoying PA announcers as well, which sucks. That's one thing that, <laughs> that, that that really bothers me and comes into my calculations when I think about potential matchups. But we'll see. We'll know tomorrow. So on tomorrow's podcast, we'll know who the Bucks are playing and we'll start to cast our eyes forward to the conference finals. As I said, it feels like the Bucks won a championship yesterday, but it was only the second round. We've still got work to do. So I'm glad that we've got the opportunity to do that, certainly on this show. So appreciate everyone for jumping in on... This Green Room live pod today, and uh, for everyone that's listening on their normal podcast feed, uh, make sure you download the Green Room app because the Bucks have still got plenty of playoff basketball to come, so we'll do more of these podcasts as we go. Justin, appreciate you. Appreciate all the listeners, uh, those that have been in the chat today. It's always a lot of fun. Uh, just continue enjoying it. Enjoy your Sunday. Go out, have fun. Hopefully the weather's nice, and we'll catch you guys tomorrow.